Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. You can subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave comments for us. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm happy. Today is Thursday, the 7th of February, and it's been about three months since we did a podcast about the Australian federal election, and we're going to revisit that uh, in this issue. About three months ago, Australia had federal election and, in fact, a change of government as a result of that. And we had a podcast just before that where we were speculating about how political parties and other interested organizations would use the Internet, whether they'd use it well, whether they'd use it badly, whether they'd use it at all. And we talked about a few of the things that they did, and we had another podcast straight after the election talking about some of the things they did. Um, But we thought, given that three months has passed, we might cover that issue again and talk about maybe some of the things that we didn't get time to cover and what parties have done since election. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. Um, we, we, we anticipated great things uh, from the various protagonists in, during the election campaign because uh, we've been seeing other organisations using Web 2.0 and getting a lot out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, when we, uh, when we reviewed how the campaign had been conducted online, we felt uh, the two main parties, at least, had... Uh, were pretty underwhelming in, in their use of the internet. Which is not that surprising to be underwhelmed by politicians, but uh, right. we did have high hopes. Yeah, true to form, they, uh, they failed to impress. Um, but as, as you mentioned, uh, so we, we were mainly impressed by um, um, other parties, not other political parties, but, but other organisations. They, they were uh, the standout, at least for me. So just individuals doing great parody um, video clips, putting them up on YouTube, for instance, and um, I don't know whether we mentioned it in the podcast, but there was one um, organisation called getup.org.au. They're a, um, a political activism organisation. Um, they had done some impressive work, regardless of what you think of their politics. They, they really have tapped into Web 2.0 as a useful and powerful means of, of political activism. Well, I... I don't think that we reported on it after the election, but I certainly remember you mentioning them in the lead-up to the election, Chris. So um, tell me a little bit about what they've done. Well, in the election campaign itself, they, um, they, they campaigned on various, various issues. They, they, they're, they're non-partisan, but they were um, advocating change in an abstract form, change in a political direction. So uh, I guess you could say that they were sort of um, opposed to the incumbent government, the Howard government. But so they ran various campaigns. They did a video competition, so they were using online video as a means of um, engaging their um, their mailing list and getting them to produce videos. And then there was a competition to judge the best. And then there was a fundraising campaign that they contacted people on their mailing list to donate funds so that they could buy airtime to um, to air the winning video. So they used online video, which we know is, is one of the hot Web 2.0 technologies. They have an enormous mailing list. I think it's about 200,000 members they claim to have, so they have great reach uh, through a mailing list. And they also um, ran several blogs, so uh, you could keep um, 
keep up to date with and commentate on. They have communities where you can comment on the various blogs. Um, so that that also engaged um, their community. And I read recently in a newspaper article that just on the election campaign itself, the, the GetUp declared that they spent half a million dollars, which would have been raised through donations uh, from their membership. Half a million dollars um, was raised and spent during the election campaign. So that's uh, that's a good measure of how successful GetUp were in using Web 2.0 for political activism. Mm, and half a million dollars is, is nothing. It's a drop in the ocean, isn't it? That That's right. I think it's an impressive amount when ranked alongside, um, if you consider, say, the unions and other political organisations, political activism, they raised, say, a few million dollars, but from just a, a community-based grassroots um, organisation like GetUp is, that's that's um, pretty good going. It is. It is. And, you know, one of the interesting things from what you said, Chris, is that they had a, a big mailing list of 200,000 people, and presumably they had permission to mail to that list, so they weren't spamming them. And That's right. interesting that you can do that sort of thing if you if you have permission, if you follow the rules, what we call an etiquette, the etiquette of the Internet, where people, people, you can communicate with people en masse with permission in a very targeted way, so it's not mass media advertising, and people don't mind that. In fact, they welcome it and they, they prefer that. I remember a few years ago, there was, a, I don't think it was a federal election, but it may have been one of the state elections where John Howard was campaigning on behalf of, um, obviously, his party's candidate. And he had recorded phone calls ringing up people, just like telemarketers. Well, do you remember that, Chris? I do. And it was actually the federal election. and he. Uh, it was, was it? The, the previous yeah. one. It was, it was. It was the 2004 federal election and um, he pre-recorded uh, a message and then um, got people's phone numbers. Uh, political political parties are allowed to do this um, and you were phoned, your phone rang, there was a brief pause and then lo and behold John Howard uh, um, was speaking at you uh, telling you, uh, endorsing your local member for, um, for the federal election. So yeah, we got. Uh, I think I think I got two phone calls from John, asking me to vote for um, his uh, for the local candidate, and I chose not to. <laughs> well, the thing is that it's uh, there's a huge backlash to that, even though, there as was, you said, yes. legally, uh, that was allowed because the Anti-Spam Act, which was also enacted around about that time, I think it was April 2004, um, specifically exempted certain organisations from from the Spam Act uh, or from from telemarketing. And political parts, political organisations were one of them, but still, people resented being called by politicians and told to vote for them. They certainly and, uh, did, and significantly, that wasn't conducted this time. That uh, well, I didn't get a call from John Howard. I don't know about you, uh, Gihan, <laughs> whether it was to be uh, no, recorded and, or otherwise. No, and there was no news about that either. So I think you're right. I think yes, they learned from that gaffe, that mistake, and, and didn't do it this time. And and also in the intervening time, we've of course, had in Australia the legislation regarding the Do Not Call Register, which uh, is um, it targets telemarket uh, phone telemarketing and um, allows you to register your phone number as one uh, that telemarketers can't contact, unless, of course, you're a political organisation. So John Howard still could have um, um, given us some phone spam, but this time round he realised that it wasn't such a good tactic. That's right. So politically. Uh, although not legally, he, he realised it wasn't such a, it wasn't an effective way of campaigning, or at least his party did.
That's right. Um, so, I, I, I mean, that's one of the things where organizations like GetApp, they're not only using the Internet, but they're using it well and the way it's supposed to be used. So they're blogging and they've got blogs with different communities. They use YouTube videos that are engaging. Uh, that's right. Online. Okay. Well, we had a podcast last year, Chris, about, again, it was John Howard, and this is not being political in any way, but it was an example of an organization who used YouTube but just gave lip service to it by putting on their fairly boring video, which all it did was attracted um, flack. Yeah, it was. It was was mainly ridiculed. Yes. So it's not just a case of using Web 2.0 tools, but it's about understanding the culture of the Internet. That's exactly right, and I think I think GetUp have uh, understand that, and um, that's why they've managed to be so successful in terms of, of active, activism and fundraising for their various campaigns. Yes. Now, just to just to change tack slightly, there's another organisation that you told me about first, I think, Chris Senator Online. That's right. Was uh, an interesting organisation that really tried to change the whole way that Parliament ran in a very small way, but in a very interesting way, and they were. A spectacular failure, but what? They were, weren't they? <laughs> yes. Yes, the so Senator Online was an, an organisation or a political party who campaigned on the notion that um, if uh, one of their candidates was elected to the Senate, that's the upper house in the Australian Federal Parliament, that uh, they would cast votes in the Senate by um, doing online polling of their um, of their electorate and... As a, as a consequence of the way of the res, result of their online polling, they would cast their vote accordingly in the Senate. Um, so it's kind of like a direct democracy that, as uh, envisaged by the Greeks before they had the internet. Mm, so they're saying that you've got a, that the people have got a seat in Parliament. That's right. Yeah, it was like a direct, um, or an indirect, or electronic uh, um, conduit to the Senate. Yes, and um, you know we both looked at the website beforehand, and they'd, they were obviously very they were serious organisation. They'd uh, thought about it carefully. They had fairly clear guidelines and rules. And I looked at their frequently asked questions, and they seemed to answer the sort of objections that people might raise, such as mm. um, can you stack the vote by just getting a whole bunch of people to um, to vote for you? Because that's or to vote on an issue. Because that's the biggest problem with online polls, is it's very easy to um, push them in one direction or the other just by mm. getting a whole lot of your friends to, to vote. Yeah. Um, so they'd addressed those sort of issues, that at least they, they claimed that they were going to address them. So it seemed like a, a legitimate um, attempt to give the people some say in democracy. Uh, but However, it failed. They did. I think they got less votes than the Shooters Party or the Fishing Party. <laughs> That's right. But what they didn't do, what Senator Online didn't do, even though that they, uh, the, the internet was front and centre in in their um, their political idea, they didn't appear to do any campaign. They didn't use Web 2.0 in in raising their profile. I don't think many people would have heard of Senator Online um, other than perhaps geeks like you and me, Gihan. Yes, and they, they got a little bit of publicity on polling day. So they right. turned up at polling booths... Um, like almost undressed, <laughs> right. undressed and carrying placards, uh-huh. and but that, as you say, that was possibly the first time that most of the electorate had heard about Senator Online, and it really does require a little change in thinking, and it's probably not the sort of thing that's going to happen just by 
um, having a bit of shock value outside a polling booth. That's right. They, I mean, the Senator Online, I think, is quite a good idea, quite a novel idea, um, but they do need to raise their profile above um, being nude and wearing sandwich, boys, sandwich boards on polling day. That's right. Now, it's interesting that I saw that on their website they've attempted to do some of those things. So, for example, they have a Facebook discussion group. Oh, a whole right. bunch of people uh, did participate in that discussion forum. Um, and, of course, it's a, it's a biased sample because of the people who are computer literate, um, maybe, like as you say, geeks like you and me, um, but people who are highly supportive of the, of the movement, but it didn't get out into the general electorate. No, that's right. Yes, uh, as you say, the, the way I came across Senator Online was in um, the Slashdot um, forum, which is described as news for nerds. So it really was mm -hmm. because it was an online um, approach to democracy that uh, it got some profile there. But um, outside the geek circles, perhaps they were unknown. Yes, I think you're right. So were there any other things that you wanted to comment on, Chris, other organisations or other nifty things that you saw people do? Um, Yes, I was, I was just going to return to Get Up again, and one individual, one um, little campaign they ran, or actually it wasn't little, it, it gained quite a lot of um, media coverage, and was quite clever, I thought. It was a website they set up called howshouldivote.com.au, I think. And what it was, you went there and you answered 20 questions um, about you know, various issues, Aboriginal reconciliation, climate change, um, uh, workplace agreements, those sorts of things. And then, based on your responses to that 20-question survey, they, you entered your postcode so they could determine your electorate, and then they matched your responses to the responses of the candidates who were running, uh, who were campaigning in your electorate, and then would give you a How to Vote card, um, scored according to how well your votes, your responses matched with the responses of the various candidates. So that was quite clever, and I think. I think it was over 100,000 people or 100,000 um, how-to-vote cards were generated using that website. And I, I read coverage of it in the press um, as well. And much of that coverage was focused on the fact that um, Liberal Party candidates and coalition candidates were always ranked or scored very low on that. Um, and the reason for that was because the, those candidates refused to actually provide responses to those questions, which I think was really shooting themselves in the foot. They, um, they were letting, they were, you know, they were intentionally not participating in that website, and so, you know, they, they never got a good score if, if people were going to use howshouldivote.com.au as a means of, of um, mm. learning about their candidates and where they stood on various issues. So I thought that was quite nifty, and it also demonstrated another mistake that was made by uh, the, the coalition government um, during the campaign as far as online campaigning was concerned. Yes, yeah, so what you're saying is it's like those people who say no comment to journalists, which, makes, which when that's reported, it makes them almost sound guilty by default. Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy. And, uh, but I guess the thing is that people are like media media trainers will train people to never say no comment because of that because of that perception right but here are people who kind of misjudged 
how important this forum would be, and so they effectively said no comment without realising that it could make some difference to, to a significant number of people. Yeah, that's right. Did some 100,000 visits to that website, um, all of which would have said, uh, you know, put the ALP, uh, sorry, the, the coalition candidates at the bottom of the how to vote card. Mm, and just by default, not because of their policies. Precisely, by default. Anyone who didn't provide answers was not ranked, was ranked sort of randomly at, at the bottom of the list. Yeah, okay, that is interesting. Well, I, I think that we've come to the conclusion that Australia is still a little bit behind in terms of uh, use of, uh, like a political party's use of the internet, with a few exceptions, uh, with the public public use of the internet and the public participation in the democratic process. But I know that you've also seen some interesting things happening in the lead up to the U.S. president to the U.S. presidential elections. That's right. So in the United States at the moment, they're having the uh, the primaries where the the various parties choose their presidential candidates and that that campaign it's not even the actual presidential campaign this is the campaign to choose the candidates for president mm. that's been generating a lot of um a, a lot of online presence hasn't it there's been they had debates that were conducted on youtube so um people could make video questions addressed to the candidates or to individuals and then the responses from the candidates were were available on YouTube as well. So that's had a really high profile, and that, that's really a, a YouTube initiative as opposed to uh, the campaigners themselves. But all of them made sure that they, uh, they they responded. Because they understand the importance of that as a medium now. Yeah, that's right, as opposed to, say, the coalition who said, I'm not going to bother responding to howshouldivote.com.au. No US um, presidential hopeful... Uh, would have uh, said no comment on YouTube, so to speak, would they? Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and also the various um, the various candidates have uh, blogs, and I don't know about if this is the case, but I expect they would have presence on the various social networking network websites as well. Yes, I, I think that's right. And in fact, there's a little bit of controversy about whether the people who are representing themselves on those websites were the candidates themselves or people who just hijacked their names. And we talked about this last year, Chris, with MySpace, mm -hmm. that John Howard had a listing on MySpace, but he actually had about 20 listings, and then one was the real John Howard. Right, okay. So this is, actually, so this is something that people are now realizing, and the U.S. presidential candidates uh, uh, and, the, and their campaign teams are smart enough now to realize that there are people taking advantage of the web to make political statements. So, for example, I heard that um, some, even some years ago, maybe four or eight years ago, I can't remember which presidential election, um, let's, let's, I can't remember, but let's say it was Bill Clinton being re-elected. Mm -hmm. um, his campaign team had bought up domain names like BillClintonSucks.com right. just to stop somebody else from getting it. Yep. So they're getting they're getting quite net savvy as they should be. That's right. I mean, when it, when it comes to blogging, I think it was in the 2004 election campaign. Um, Howard Dean, who was a Democratic uh, presidential hopeful, he um, he was there at the at the beginning of blogging. So that gives you an idea of just how um, more savvy the US is when it comes to political um, online activity. With Howard Dean running a blog way back in 2004. And he generated millions of dollars worth of campaign funds through
through um, just asking his mailing list and, and uh, on his blog for um, small donations. He was one of the he re- of the of the Democratic um, candidates. He the Democrat candidates. He raised uh, far more than all the others, and his weren't from wealthy benefactors or from corporations. His came from again grassroots um, activism. So it's not all good news, Keith. Yes. I was going to say because um, I mean we've been praising the U.S. in terms of all the candidates in the U.S. in terms of how savvy they are. As I mentioned just now on Slashdot, which is um, the the news for nerds um, forum, they asked their um, their subscribers to put together a list of tech and IT and uh, internet-based questions to address to the various candidates. Um, and they were put together and put to the uh, to the candidates, and it was only one of them who bothered to respond. And as the Slashdot editors pointed out, Slashdot has a readership that rivals the major daily newspapers. And for only one of the um, one of the presidential candidates to, I think it was Ron Paul, to actually respond to the readership was uh, missing the mark. Mm, that's interesting. That is very interesting because yeah. uh, it seems like he would get. He would certainly have an advantage in in that community. Yes, he might do. Although I think Ron Paul's not um, <laughs> isn't in the running so much anymore. He's is he? dropped out now. Has he? Yes. That's right. <laughs> um, but but you make a good point, Chris. And I, I know that I I listen to a number of podcasts in the from the science community and from the skeptics community, if you like, mm-hmm. the rational thinking, and they say the same thing that they're trying to get debates about science issues. Um, but the leading candidates just don't want to touch it. And maybe there's a fear with science, and maybe not so much with the Internet, but with, the, with some of the scientific and rational thinking issues, that they fear that by taking a stand, they're, they're polarizing their, their audience. Right. Because you know things like evolution versus, versus creationism are very big in the U.S., yeah. uh, or stem cell research. Those sort of topics are very emotive, and uh, in some in some sense, it's better not to take a stand than to take a strong stand and get a lot of people on your side, but also alienate a lot of others. Right. So it actually led me to something I was going to ask you, which is with people using the internet, whether they're presidential ca- candidates or political parties or other organisations, I wonder whether they're actually using it simply as a new medium to get out the same old propaganda. <laughs> or whether they're seriously going to do the sort of things that Senator Online was trying to do, which is to really involve people in the democratic process and get people thinking a bit more. Because I know I'd say that you're a thinker, Chris, I'm a thinker, and there are there are thinking people around, but we're we like sadly... Yes. Sadly, we're probably in the minority, people who look at issues in depth rather than just looking at a five-second soundbite. Yeah, that I get... Yes, you're right, and I'm wondering whether the, that soundbite mentality that you that you've mentioned is that's a product of old media and television and radio, and whether the internet provides the possibility to go in the other direction, where in-depth um, analysis and commentary is possible, um, because it you know it doesn't have to fit into a 30-minute news bulletin on the radio or on television. Um, it has it needs to fit in. It, it doesn't have to. It's not constrained by that on the internet. Um, people come across this information in their own time, um, be it you know a web page or a podcast or whatever. So I'm wondering if perhaps the internet, because of it, the different form of media that it is or medium that it is, um, might might steer things in a different direction. 
Well, I'd like to think so. And a couple of years ago, it was perhaps moving in a different direction because it seemed like if you had money, you could get exposure and you could get a profile online. And now Web 2.0 has really, in a lot of ways, given the Internet back to the people, for better or for worse. Yeah. So I think that um, I think his point's a good one, that it may, in fact, turn out to be for the better and that organizations and political parties and political candidates are forced to communicate and talk and have conversations with their electorate. Let's hope so, Gihan. A prediction Which would be nice. <laughs> we will find out soon. Um, so thank you, Chris. We've come to the end of our time together. Are there any last comments you'd like to make? Um, I think, yeah, I think, again, it's the whole Web 2.0 issue that we've pushed in the past, and that is one that Web 2.0 is about community, and that means participating in the community is a way to make it work for you. Yes, and I was at a conference last weekend where I had Seth Godin as a marketing expert. He was one of the speakers there, and he said something which put it very succinctly and very well. And he said, ask not what the web can do for you, ask what you can do for the web. It rings a bell. <laughs> that, that's it, isn't it? It's uh, You participate in it, and that's what builds, makes the community, and that's what Web 2.0 is about. Yep. That's right. And 20 years ago, Chris, when we first started using the Internet, there was no web at the time, but we were using the Internet, it was very much a place where people participate, collaborate, share ideas, and get involved in communities. And uh, it's it's interesting and nice to see that we're perhaps coming full circle and coming back to that. We haven't stopped participating ever since, have we, Gihan? That's right. So thank you. Thank you again for your time and for your thoughts thank and your you insights. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Speak to you then. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.